the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to the show. During this podcast episode, I'm going to be discussing the pilot whale grinds or slaughters conducted in the Faroe Islands with an activist that caught my attention some months ago. I like his reporting style because he appears to subdue the expected emotional attachment that all too often overshadows the point being made. I'm not saying that the passion isn't apparent, it most certainly is. However, it is kept under control so that his reporting is on point, precise, balanced and well received. He joins me now from his home nation, Norway, Samuel Rostel. Welcome to the show, buddy. How's your quarantine going? Thank you. I actually just came out of quarantine yesterday after a negative test, so I'm all good and ready to go. Awesome. Awesome. I, th- I thought you were going to be looking at a couple of weeks of sat in your shed. Yeah, it used to be 10 days, but just uh, just a few weeks ago, they cut it down to three days if you can show a positive or a negative, but it's a very positive yeah. test result. So now I'm good. I can go out in, and be, yeah, happy days. <laughs> yeah. You'll be able to get outside. Um, of course, your, your missus, is is she nearby or have you got to travel to get home? Yeah. Oh, you're at home now? Yeah, I'm at, I'm at home at her, her place, so so that's okay. all good. Happy. Good on you. Good on you. Thanks. Um, so just for just for those people that don't know you, um, I'll, I'll just expand on the intro there that you know, Samuel caught my attention because of the the grind in the Faroe Islands, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, but obviously once someone catches my attention, then I have a little dig around on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And, and Samuel's... Um, or kind of gone all on or all cards in on um, caring for animals and welfare. And um, I see he's got quite a healthy following on uh, Patreon now or Patreon. How do you say it? Is it Patreon? Patreon. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but can you, can you backfill us a bit, uh, especially for myself, you know, what, what were you doing before uh, this, this, changing events of your life and 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 why uh for sure um i come from a small town in norway um where i just i'm just just a regular small town boy really and but i have always been like very um protective about against or around the nature and around animals i've always been very caring always I i was a kid that lifted like small beetles and 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 bugs out of the way so that no bikes would run over them um and then I became an adult and I had to do regular life. So I studied uh, multimedia programming and I worked as a programmer for a few years. Hated it. Uh, went traveling, <laughs> came back, became a nurse. And during the nurse studies, I found my passion, which is for fight, fighting for the animals. Um, yeah. So after a few years as a nurse, I just decided, well, this is um, not where my passion lies. My passion lies with the animals. And, mm-hmm. and there are so many people fighting for humans on different levels, and, but the animals has so few. So that's where I wanted to put my focus. So since February this year, um, I've become a full-time activist, but I've been so in, in previous times as well uh, for a year or so. Uh, but now I'm going all in. And, and thanks to both Patreon and, and, and supporters on, on social media, I get to do that with, with all my all my hearts and all my time and all my passion. So I'm very, I'm very, very grateful, grateful for that. Um, so what, um, how, how did it come about that um, you headed down to the Faroe Islands? Is it something that's been on your radar for a while? Well, I've been a supporter of Sea Shepherd's work for many, many years. And I've always mm. been 
very, very happy about what they do and how they work. At least to some extent, there was always some things that I don't agree with. But that's always the case. Yeah. Um, so when they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to join in this year's campaign, and we hadn't worked together before, uh, it was an automated yes for me. Uh, I was really happy to, to be able to do that. And first I was asked to join for two weeks, and then they expanded to, to four weeks. And in the end, it became two and a half months in total. Um, and it was just... Um, it was just me being happy to do some hands-on work, as I do back home anyway, but but on a different matter and, and with a different team behind you. Uh, mm. Having such a team as Sea Shepherd behind your back well, when you do work like this, it makes it really, well, you can make a lot bigger impact because of the following that they have than with a mm. mere following that I have. Um and I think that we have made a difference this year, like the the, the documentations that that we've been able to do and the and the events that has uh, happened. Uh, I think, like we were seeing right now, that it's it's really making an impact that we're there. So, so I'm proud and happy to be a part of that. Yeah, as you should be. Um, yeah. Now, I I just want to pick up on that. Um, so you you got invited by Sea Shepherd to go join their campaign down there. Um, I actually thought it was Sea Shepherd seeing the great stuff you were doing and voicing what you were doing. So that just speaks uh, in volumes the uh, the work or the output that you've that, that you've configured. Um, I got it completely the wrong way around in my head. Oh well, to to be completely honest, like it was a volunteer that has that I've met before and, and who was there last year, who just mm-hmm. said that I could be a valuable asset to this year's campaign, and uh, mm. and so I think it was. Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say there was the the big dogs of Sea Shepherd that invited me, but it was it was one <laughs> of last year's volunteers. Um, so I, I don't know if you got it the wrong way around, but I'm I was happy to be there at least. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think I, I think I did get it the wrong way around. You got an invite from Sea Shepherd, and I, I thought you'd gone down there on your own, and Sea Shepherd had picked up on the good work that you've been doing. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, um, that's what I'm trying to say is that uh, it just shows the good work that you have been doing because um, you've effectively been the, the the voice and the and the eyes of of what's going on in the Faroe Islands, as far as I can see. So yeah, I've been I've been one of them for sure, and I'm, I'm like we were a team there every like all all through the summer, and mm. I just got to be one of the people that was in front of the camera a few times, and, but we were always like two or three people at the very least. Um, okay, okay. So yeah, so not, I wasn't alone, um, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what was the um, what was the idea of being there? Was it to purely to record the activities or to integrate, to question, to interfere? What was the objectives? The idea was actually quite simple. Um, previous years, they have Sea Shepherd has been more, um, you could say, more vis- visible. And in 2014, they had a big campaign with like boats and I think a couple of hundred activists, and they were actually trying to stop the whale hunting. Um, after that, the ferries passed quite a lot of laws restricting that kind of operation. So now we're just basically allowed to document. Um, so my, my task this year was to document and to try to strike conversations with the locals speaking with them um, uh, about the Grind and about everything that happens, why it happens, and, and why they still do it. 
Um, so when I wasn't at a grind, which happened quite randomly because uh, a grind happens when a pot of oil is like seen somewhere and then they start to hunt. But when I wasn't doing that, which was most of the time, I would try to start conversations and have conversations with locals and meet with them and see why they did what they did, what they thought about it, what they thought about the future of the grind and so forth. Um, mm. And the hope was, of course, that that I don't have to come back, that the Faroese people themselves will take the, take the, take the battle on, so to say, um, mm. because it's always the best if local activists fight the cause. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So um, just out, outline for those people that may be listening that are possibly unaware of what's going on in the Faroe Islands, what's, uh, what exactly is a grind and why does it go on? Why does it occur? Well, a grind is, or a grinda drop, as they call it in the Faroe Islands, is when a pot of uh, grind whales or pilot whales are spotted, like along the coast of the Faroe Islands. Um, they are called um, uh, for a grinda boot, which means that um, all the locals will jump into their boats and chase that pot of whales into the nearby uh, bay and towards um, a slaughter uh, beach. On that beach, a group of people will be waiting with ropes and hooks. So when when the whales are, are chased close enough to the beach, they will run out into the ocean, put those hooks or try to put those hooks into the blowing holes or the breathing holes of the dolphins and pull them with force onto land and then uh, cut them open, uh, basically. So the method they use for this is they have like a spear-like um a weapon that they cut into the spinal cord of these uh, animals uh, to Im- immobilize them. And then they cut mm. their head open with a knife so that they bleed out or die from blood loss to their brain. Mm. Um, so one of, the, one of the ways this works is when, when they use the motorboats or the boats, they try to make a lot of sound behind the animals so that for them, who, who of course, they, they use sonars to, to navigate, they just see a big like sound wall behind them. So the only way they can move is in the direction that the hunters want them to go. Mm. Um, and this hunt can, can be um, hours long. <clears throat> One of the longest I saw was about four hours. And they were chased around like 35 something kilometers. And, um, and, and, and I got to film um, parts of it, especially the, the, the chase, where you can see how all the whales come up for air with, with like tens and tens of boats behind them chasing them towards land. Um, and that was, that was my, one of my tasks. I was flying a drone. So I got to fly, fly a drone quite a lot of film these um, events from different perspectives than that has, seen, has been seen before, um, yeah. which also resulted in quite a lot of tension and some aggression towards me um but that is that is the yeah. basic gist of a grind drop and afterwards they 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 pull the the the, the whales to the nearby harbor where they open mm-hmm. the animals up and then cut them out and share them between the hunters and the and the people who participated primarily okay. and if there's enough and, left and th- for everybody else then they can share it off with the locals as well okay and the main reason that this continues um, or the main excuse should we say is that it's historically it's a tradition is that correct well they would argue um, that it, the main reason why it continues is because they use the whales for food okay um, so their 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 point of view is that we're we're eating them and it's it's good food for us 
Um, but if you look at their own like health ministries recommendations, they they actually recommend to restrict the consumption of these whales quite a lot. Um, the, the the recommendation right now is about three hundred grams per adult per month. Okay. So the maximum recommended intake is basically some somewhere along the line of like three hundred pilot whales a year. And now, of course, this year the hunt has been twice that, plus all those white-sided dolphins that was, was uh, slaughtered. Um, um, well, almost a month ago. Yeah, yeah. What was that over one thousand one hundred eighty-four or forty-eight? Yeah, one thousand four hundred twenty-eight was the total 428. number. Four hundred twenty-eight. Yeah, and that's only the con- counted. Usually, there's quite a lot of, of um, pregnant whales or dolphins as well, and mm. the fetuses uh, just die inside their mother's womb, and they're never counted. They're just discarded because they don't eat them. Mm. Yeah. There was the was it your was it your aerial footage that had the fishermen cutting out uh, dolphins from pregnant yeah. mum and just chucking them in the bin. Yep, that was actually quite an interesting experience in itself. We were we were there throughout the night. The hunt happened just around midnight. So this uh, so we stayed with um with the slaughter and the the picking up of the animals all through the morning, and we noticed that mm-hmm. there were two uh, dolphins or pallet whales that they didn't cut up and. Their bellies were kind of like, how do you say? They were uh, protruding. So we understood that there was yeah. something in there, of course, being then um, pregnant uh, dolphins. So we stayed around hoping to be able to film this, uh, but they never did as long as we were there. Mm. So then we figured out that we would just leave and let them be. And when we came just around the corner, we threw up the drone and flew back and, got, and caught them just in the act of removing the, the dead uh, fetus. Hmm. So we, it's so they were. I mean, it, it is it is graphic, and I'm sure you know a few people might have turned off from the podcast by now because um, it's it's stomach churning just to think about. But it's a topic that that has to be brought into the limelight and and has to be exposed because I think I did a little Google a few days ago. I think there's maybe um, only a million. Um, long fin um, pilot whales left in the world that we know of. And yeah, yeah, the numbers aren't that. We don't really actually know the numbers. What we have yeah. seen is a steady decline in the pod sizes over the last okay. uh, few few decades. Um, when we because the ferries are very very good at keeping count on the number of of of, uh, of pilot whales that they kill and consume. So what you can see is for every hunt, there is a number of, like the number of, of whales in the pod is always counted. Mm. So from the 80s to now, the number of, of whales in one pod that they do capture has been reduced to about half the sizes. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't really tell us too much about the, the um, total population, but it does give an indication of that there's something happening. Yeah. There's got to be a bit, there's, there's got to be imbalance there, isn't there? Because... You know the, the 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 offspring can still take milk from the mother for until they're into their early teens years. Um, they're, they're not breeding every year and just popping out new babies that are going to grow to full size animals overnight. So it's you know it it it's definitely going to deplete the stocks um, across the globe. 
Yeah, and I think they, um, they breed every three years or so. Mm. So, so I think it's it's um, it takes time for them to to breed one. They they are pregnant for about one year, and yeah. their their calves follow them for quite a while as well. And um, you know these these slaughters they do take the entire family, the entire pod. So this like mm. one version of the genetic pool is just wiped out totally, which mm. isn't really good for for com- like conservation perspectives as, as well. Mm. Is it what's um how are you guys received when you're on the island you know once they start to recognize that you're um an activist someone who is effectively saying what they're doing what they believe to be right is wrong what how how, how are you received well oh that's that's a, so it's such a good question <laughs> differently mm. Depending on I have one every now and then. Um, many people will just, yeah. <laughs> well, some people just ignore you, and they don't want to. They don't want to like be seen next to you or uh, anything. Other people will like have a conversation. Some people, like most people, are very gentle and nice. Actually, um, I've had amazing, good conversation with those people who are willing to have a conversation with me. And then you have the odd experience of people who find it interesting or necessary to attack me or, or abuse me. And I've been threatened all my life. I've been attacked physically. Some people has been like physically blocking my camera and standing in front of me, like holding. There's been different things. Um, there's been quite a few people trying to steal my camera or my, my, my mobile phone, depending on what I've used to document. And that's that's unfortunate. I think it doesn't represent the fairies as a community. But there will always be one of the one or two of these kind of people who who find feel it uh, their responsibility to be more more I don't know, physical. I guess. Um, yeah. Is it more the older the older generation that are like that with you? Yes. For sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, the, the the man who threatened me on my life was probably around like 10, 15 years older than me. Not more than that. Um, oh, that's the dude most, that you caught on video, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. On During the live stream, he basically said, I'm going to cut your head off or I'm going to kill you, he said. Yeah. Um, but the most of the other guys have been a little bit more older. Um, and the people that I've had the best conversations with has been around my own age or younger. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask that that dude that threatened to cut your head off. I, I can remember seeing him do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you how do you stay calm with that kind of aggression coming at you? Because generally, I'd, I'd I'd end up opting for getting ready to defend myself. That's a polite way of saying it. Yeah, I think that, like, if if I felt immediate physical danger then I would, of course, probably have to try to defend myself in some way. Mm. But just a threat or just a physical push or just a punch or just like that's not really that problematic. And Mm. one of the things that I do have to remember when I do things like this is that I'm not here for myself. Mm. I'm here trying to be a voice for those who have their own voices, but they're simply just not heard. Yeah. And... As a voice for them, if I start acting out in violent ways, I I kind of lose that up ability. Like mm. as soon as as soon as they can write about the activist who who punched a local, mm. then the conversation is over. 
Um, and I don't want that to happen. I want to bring the conversation there. So when these things happen, I do have to just stay calm. And as long as I don't feel that I'm about to be killed, then I will just take whatever comes and, and, and try to brush it off. And yeah. And of course, that's easy to say, but when you're in the situation, your your heart starts racing and your blood starts pumping and you feel, you definitely feel the adrenaline. Um, but I don't think that there's any other way to handle it being there for the animals if I want to stay, if I want to keep the focus on them, not me. Mm, yeah. That's a, that's a good reflection on what I mentioned in the, interview, in the introduction. You know, the way that you are carrying yourself um, is generally, um, as far as activism goes, I would say in a perfect way because you're oh, doing oh. the non-aggressive, non-assertive kind of, um, you know, approach. And um, I think that goes a long way, really does. And bravo for not knocking him out, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you didn't know you were in the army before. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> the, the thing is that I'm also quite a large man. Um, yeah. I, I, my body weight is 110 kilograms. So so I'm, I don't easily feel threatened by other people. Um mm. So I, that, that gives me an edge that I think many don't have. I think that many... Most most attacks are usually just like people wanting to show people the friends around them that they're not afraid to do so. Like I've seen a lot yeah. of people who has been been quite assaulting at me or ass assaulting me, and then they go around, they get pats on their backs from their friends, even if nothing really happened. They just pushed and and touched a little bit. Um, mm. So I think there's a lot of like uh, just showboating, you know, like hey, look at me, I'm I'm being here and I'm up. Um, opposing to this Sea Shepherd um, activist, mm. yeah. But so, I, I think it's um, important to to be uh, in all matters or all, always possible to be as gentle and calm as possible. And it's mm. uh, I'm trying. I'm not always succeeding. <laughs> <laughs> I think quite a few people would probably find a 110 kilo Viking being very very calm <laughs> in the in the in the in the time of aggression as as probably quite scary anyway. Um, Maybe so. Yeah, it works. Um, um, so, apart from the, you know, the fools that that want to threaten you, um, I, I think you've mentioned a couple of times that there's there's uh, pharaohs that are, are keen to see an end to this as well. Um, there are, is there yeah. is there a large population, or is it just a small factor, a small sector of the population? Well. One of the issues that we struggle with when it comes to the Grind is because it has such a high um, kind of status as a tradition among the fairies, mm. opposing it is not frowned upon. It is actively sought out and bullied by some. Really? Which means that if, if somebody speaks their mind against the Grind, they can sometimes... Their, their comments can be screenshotted and shared in hate groups and they can be bullied into silence. And that has been happening for such a long time that people contact me quite regularly and say, hey, I'm fairies. I support the work you do. I even support that you're here with Sea Shepherd, even if I can't do that publicly. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that we see a lot, that people aren't necessarily agreeing with the grin, but they don't feel that they are empowered to speak out themselves. 
Um, mm. One of the guys that contacted me said, well, uh, I asked him after having a short conversation, I said, well, would you be willing to speak out? And he was like, no, 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 I can't do that. If I do that, I'll, I lose all my customers and that's my livelihood. Mm. And of yeah. course, I can share these stories, but I can't, like, I have to keep these people anonymous so that they don't get bullied and they don't lose their customers. Um, mm. So I think even if is even if there is quite a big group of people who are against the, these killings, they are muffled and they're silenced by their own peers. Um, so I think that's also one of the reasons why it's important that external forces come in or external activists come in and, and, and try to raise these topics and hopefully yeah. one day will empower the locals to do so themselves. Yeah. I see that at the moment the um, there's there's pressure on the prime minister or the heads of state to, you know, do something about it. How's that going? Well, that's actually, it's hard to say because like the Faris government will say, we are looking into this. And that is a nice blanket statement to say that in a few months when this blows over, we don't have to do so much. Um, but since the dolphin slaughter, which is the reason for all this, um, because mm -hmm. after the 1,400 dolphins were brutally, brutally killed, and there are video material that shows how they were mistreated, um, the world has kind of united now against this kind of uh, actions. And... This is the this is the nice thing. Even the locals has done so. So there's a really? lot of people in the Faroe Islands now speaking out against this dolphin killing, not mm. necessarily against the Grind totally, but uh, at least against the white-sided dolphin slaughter. And even the like local companies, uh, the the largest industry on on the Faroe Islands, which which is the salmon industry, they have united and said that we did not support the dolphin killing. And, and this is massive. This is like the number one financial um, uh, weight of the Faroe Islands. So, of course, then they the, are that, forced. That's the, it's the salmon farming. That's the yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, the yeah. fish exports is the number one uh, um, income for the Faroe Islands. Mm. So when but, when we start talking about boycotting internationally, then they have to think about what they want to prioritize their own economy or their or their one tradition that doesn't really do that much to their to their um inhabitants anymore mm. so is there um is there any evidence that there's a monetary value to the grind you know they're not just slaughtering these animals and giving them out to the local they're not going knocking around the house and saying here's a piece of uh, pilot whale for you is that is there is the money involved here are they are they profiteering from it well, and that's actually also quite a good question. It, it used to be uh, a non-financial uh, tradition, like with no with no money involved at all. Mm. But there has been some changes the last year. I think it was. I think they passed a law that allows them now to actually sell uh, the meats. There's always been sold some meat in like supermarkets, but but that's like if I get a piece of the meat and I treat it, and then I can sell it to the, and then I can do whatever I want with it. And, but now they're talking more and more about allowing a more commercial view, viewpoint on this. And mm. I spoke to some that said, like, if you, like, one of the things that happened is that if you're the person who discovers the pod, you get more than everybody else. So you'll either get uh, the biggest whale for yourself, mm -hmm. 
or you'll get two of the smaller ones, uh, which it's it's basically a few hundred kilograms of meat is too much for most people. And I've heard that you can sell these for quite a lot of money um, if you don't want to use it all. Um, and they, we're talking about like tenth of thousands of crones for 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 these whales. So what's that? What's that <clears throat> trans- Hold on, what's that translate to in like US dollar or something like that? Well, US dollar is about twelve thousand. No, wait, 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 ten thousand, one thousand two hundred dollars. Okay, somewhere between that and like three thousand dollars. They, I've been, I've heard. So, of course, that is a quite substantial um, amount of money for just seeing a pilot whale pod and and reporting it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one of the ways that they've like made, made sure that people want to spot these pods. As they say, like if you're the one who spots it, you'll get a bonus, um, and yeah. whatever you do with that is up to you. And yeah. and now with the it, with the rules changed so that you can sell it, then everything also changes. It becomes less and less of a traditional like let's share with everybody all the poor ones and all the all like. I think that traditionally they used to take the leftovers after the hunters got theirs. They would use that to give to would feed the elders and the kindergartens and so forth. But now mm. uh, this is changing, I think. There's a lot of leftovers though, isn't there? Seeing your videos. That, that, is, that is, I think that question, it depends on your perspective. Um, I would if say, I, yes, I, there's I, a lot of to, leftovers. Yeah. If I was yeah. to catch a trout when I'm out camping, I'll catch a trout, I'll gut it, and I'll eat everything, mm. you know, apart from the skeleton. Yeah. I won't just cut out the, the center fillet and chuck everything else in the bin. Exactly. And I think that's uh, – I think I agree with you totally on this. I think that they what they do is they cut out the, the nicest pieces – Mm-hmm. And then they give everything rest, everything else back, back to nature, so to say. And yeah. when you walk on those beaches or on those harbors after the slaughter, you can see there's a lot of um, meat left on the animals. Um, mm. Some are just not that um, palatable, I guess. Yeah. Especially like far back on the tail and around the head, it's apparently not that tasteful. And, and like traditionally they used to use much more of the animals, of course, because back then it was something they did to survive. So they used parts of the animals for tools. They used the head to lure in fish to the nearby Harbor. So they would dump them into the ocean and just hold like wait for like other fishes to come and eat on them so they could capture them. Mm. They would make fish oils or whale oils. They would make like, they would do a lot of things. Now they basically just cut out the nicest pieces of meats and blubber and, and use that and throw the rest away. They would, of course, argue that they use everything. But I think the picture speaks for themselves, uh, that they yeah, don't. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of an, a, an argument that you can't win, really, is it, when you leave a carcass on a, <laughs> lined up on the harbor? Yeah. But then they would just say, well, you, you don't know how to cut up these animals, so you don't know how, how, how much work we do. But I would argue, like, if you – like, I, I come from Norway. We don't really – eat pilot whales but we do eat a lot of animals and we try to use every single part of it and like for example the ribs of a pig we will roast um i don't support that at all but but people do that and but Mm. for these animals there's so much uh, like edible parts still left on the animals and they're just thrown away and especially with the with the massive dolphin slaughter that they did the other day they they threw away all the blubber because they don't like the taste of it 
Um, so effectively, the salmon that are being sold on the supermarket shelves around the world, they're being fed on the carcasses of these animals that they're killing on the beach. Um, in theory, <laughs> that could be possible. An, um, yeah. I don't think that they will admit to it. Uh, I think yeah. that usually what they do is they pull these carcasses out into the ocean and just dump them. Mm. Um, and so, and and the question is, of course, what did they actually do with the meat? Because there's like a lot of the meat is actually just frozen, so that they can take it out of the freezer and and and, and cook it when they want it. Mm. And there's a lot of reports saying that when a new grind happens in an area, if you already had grind meat in your freezer there's a lot of people saying that that people just throw out the old meats and replace it in the freezer because every effort every hunt people get like i think it's like a 75 kilograms of meat and blubber in total mm. so of course it's not that common to have a lot of room in your freezer and if they don't eat all that during the year then why save uh, some in the freezer i guess so yeah. I've heard tales of, of like the, the, the garbage men really struggling with the garbage bags close after I grin because they were now filled with like frozen meats. Yeah. All waste. Yeah. Is there any, um, is there any evidence that, um, any of this is going overseas? Cause I know that, um, pilot whale is quite a common, uh, bar snack in some pubs and stuff in Japan as an example. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't know. Um, I you haven't really a, followed up on that trail. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. When you get a when you get a cheaper pub like a, I don't know the the Western world, I suppose an Irish bar or something like that, and you have peanuts and stuff on the bar. There's yeah. um, I can't remember the name of the bars now, but there, there's a particular style of bar in Japan that would um, serve up pilot whale, maybe as a a bit of sashimi as a as a snack, oh. a bar snack, and it's generally pilot whale. I, I don't think well, that I'll the Faroe Islands is the only country that does slaughter pile of whales. Yeah. So it could be from other countries. Yeah. But wow. <laughs> I'll, dig, I'll dig out the name of the, the, the type of bar and, and send it across to you. I can't remember. My Japanese isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but I, I, we have seen that there has been like um, whole whales um, transported to airports. Hmm. But we don't know what happens after that. Um, okay. They could be cooled down and sent uh, to other countries for sale, or they could be sent for for research. For all we know, but we have seen yeah. quite a lot of movements and try to follow it. But it's it's uh, not always possible when they go into an f- airport, for example. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that might be worth looking at because um, I know Shark Guardian have had some successes with um, well, effectively harassing airlines to stop uh, the movement of shark fins. And it, it works quite well. Okay, yeah. well. Because the airline want to make money. So yeah, for sure. you start putting a line light on them that they're shipping the meat that everybody doesn't want shipped. Then all of a sudden they'll drop it because they want more profit in the company rather than losses. That's a good idea. Yeah. Hmm. That, that's, yeah, you need, we need all the different pressures, like methods of pressure that we can get to hmm. end this because right now it's, it's, as I said, it's there is something happening when with the debate. Like, there's a lot of people speaking out against uh, dolphin killing, and mm. that momentum is something we need to to keep uh, pre- pressing pressing on, so that something mm. might happen. So, more precisely now about the the um, the dolphin killing. Mm-hmm. If I've got, please correct me if I'm wrong. Once a pod is spotted, 
there are particular individuals that are, for sake, the the managers of that grind, and they decide that it's time to bring them in, and they decide when the slaughter stops. Is that correct? Yes, they are called a grind foreman, um, in 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 easy English. Um, okay, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, so there's there can't be many rules behind having this job because slaughtering over a thousand dolphins in one hit it isn't kind of you know uh, we've we've got we've got enough now let's let let's knock it on the head and let the rest go i'm assuming they all got slaughtered well there are reports of a few hundred being let go um okay. but they're unconfirmed so so depending on who you ask they will say yes i heard about this but nobody can confirm it but mm. I, I don't have any reason to doubt that that's true. Mm. Um, so I think, but one of the reasons why it happened to, so late, so so many uh, dolphins were slaughtered, is that they simply did not know how many were in the pod when they started the hunt. Uh, the first reports I got um, was four to 500, uh, which was already a huge pod. Um, and then, of course, as they were pushed closer, closer to land, this number was increasing. But... Mm. The, the problem is that as soon as these dolphins are beached, it's quite hard to to get them out again. Mm. Um, so, so from this viewpoint of the people on the beach, as soon as the, these dolphins are are stranded, the only way forward is to kill them um, because there mm. there's simply not enough people to pull them out again or to keep them safe and. And you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've heard also that when, as soon as like these animals are used to floating in the in the water, and as soon as they are beached, their body are are basically compressing their own lungs and making it quite hard for them. And so, from the perspective of of the slaughters or the hunters on the on the beach, they want to kill them as fast as possible, um, both for 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 the meat and also uh, to 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 be kind ish to the animals. Hmm. Um, I think there's there's probably some um, something right about the you know gravity being on weighted down and not the not buoyant in water. However, um, if that was the case, every every fish that was caught on a fishing line that hit the surf uh, hit land would just die. Um, yeah. They don't, you know. Um, so and how many whales and, and and big animals have we seen on beaches that people have used? tractors and god knows what else to put them back in the ocean and they swim away so i think that's probably just a a bit of a lame ass excuse for those that want to make an excuse (laughs) to be honest (laughs) Uh, but yeah sure it's it's on balance yeah yeah but also like imagine the scene imagine being on a beach and you have maybe 10 20 30 people willing to be part of the killing and then you have hundreds and hundreds of of dolphins just swimming or like stranded close to the end of the water or to the beach um i i just imagine pure chaos and you also also see that on the video material from this very slaughter how Mm. the hunters are just like okay let's just cut into it and because these dolphins are smaller than the pile of whales so the the methods they regularly use to like put a spear into their spinal cords they didn't use that here. They just took a sharp knife and just slashed your necks open. Um, yeah. So I think I think it was just too chaotic. And by the time that somebody called off the hunt, 
there was like 1,400 dolphins stranded on these beaches and they just continued killing. Yeah, yeah. It's a difficult one. I mean, I can only imagine that those people that are doing it and comfortably doing it have grown up with it. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're very used to it. And um, um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm rather comfortable watching horrific stuff on, on TV and it, it doesn't, it doesn't upset me much at all. Uh, mm. But having watched that, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's just fish, it's just dolphins. But, you know, when you, when you see individuals um, effectively bullying something that can't defend itself, it's, it's sickening and unrelentless. So I must admit, I didn't watch all of that. I didn't watch it through no. to the end. I think that's um, good for your own health. I've I've had yeah. to watch it because that's part of my job, and it, it exactly. does affect me. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Hmm. But um, you know, like I just said there, there, there must be people on the island that have grown up with this and don't know any different, um, and can't see why people like us are talking on a podcast about something that they've done all their lives and their dads and uncles and and so on and so forth down the generations have done the same. Um. Yeah, I guess. But I've also spoken to some people who still participate in the hunt. And they, they can tell me that like the first time they saw a pile of whale hunt, they felt bad. Um, yeah. For some, like in some capacity, they, 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 they were saddened by it or they were disgusted by it. Uh, some people has told me that they, well, they, they took... It took a lot of time for them to get over it. Mm. And then somehow they did, and now they participate, or they spent the rest of their lives participating before they start, decided to stop. Yeah. So there's, there is, of course, like we are all indoctrinated to some degree by what we learn from our parents. Um, for example, for me, who, who, who doesn't consume animal products at all, I, of course, also can equate this to the indoctrination that we got from that I got as a kid, learning that eating animals were just like natural and necessary. Mm. And they've learned the same, but their slaughterhouses has been out in the open, and they had to participate to some extent. While we didn't have to, um, so it's it's easy to see an uh, open slaughterhouse and say that these people are so and so brutal or whatever. But we're like the way we treat animals in our own slaughterhouses are also equally brutal. They're just confined behind closed walls and and and, yeah. and tainted windows, so that people don't see what they buy. Um, mm. so Ignorance it's, it's is an interesting. It is. It is. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah, it definitely is. And mm. we we're all basically indoctrinated to some extent. Um, but these are just uh, done out in the open. And as I said, a lot of them saw when they saw it for the first time, they were like really appalled by it, but then mm. they had to kind of just like man up and man through it and get used to yeah. it because it was expected of them to some degree yeah. to participate. Yeah. And I suppose it is human nature. You know, you, you're forced to do something and continue to do it and it becomes repetitive and the, and the brain numbs itself to, the horrors that are going on, yeah, whatever that for sure. may be, yeah. And and you can notice that, or I could notice that. Like I was um, this summer, I was part of seven uh, separate grins, um, and of course, the first one and the second one uh, was tougher 
than the fifth or sixth one to watch. Mm. Mm. Um, even if it was horrible to watch in all cases, it was like it, it does change when you see it a few times. Like it's yeah. not, it's not that you don't care, but it's, it's get easier to process. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's important as well because you're exposing yourself to it and you're getting over that, that adrenaline fueled fear and horror of, of what you're seeing. Mm. As you get used to it, you can then report on it more effectively because again, as I mentioned earlier on that, that emotion is taken out of the, um, criteria when you're putting the point across. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so yeah, it's one of those up. things that has to be done to get the job, to get the, the news out there, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my job was to, to tell their story as good best as I can with the tools that I have at hand. And mm. from, from, from my perspective, it was, it was, it was a drone or a camera. Um, so, so seeing them and trying to find the, the images that would make an impact so that I could maybe I, could, I couldn't save these individuals. I knew that when I went there, but maybe my material and my other colleagues material one day can be a part of, um, starting, starting the things that needed to happen to end it in, in the future. Hmm. And so then we need to have be, you got any, have you got any idea how to end this? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways, um, that could be very effective. Um, mm. one of them of course is international financial pressure. Um, mm. I think that for example, as we see now, as I said, the, fa the, the, the salmon uh, farmers has distanced themselves from this, which is mm. probably a very unpopular thing to do locally, but internationally it's so important to maintain the sales of the furries, uh, fish exports. So I think that that proves, or at least to a certain extent, shows that they are afraid of the of the ramifications of this internationally. So if we can keep the pressure up, um, and if those companies, those biggest like salmon export companies, if they were to say that we need to end this because otherwise we won't survive financially, that would make a huge impact on a country that that uh, are so dependent on these economies. Mm. Uh, are like fish farming economies. So I think that that's probably one of the best ways right now is just to keep the pressure up on the, on the fish farmers and say, Hey guys, um, if you don't, if you don't, uh, at least try to stop this, then we will uh, boycott your products. Mm. Um, at least that's, that's one of my impressions. Like the very best way would of course be if they voted on it locally and just decided, well, there's not enough support for this anymore. Um, but I think that's harder. I think that while probably most of the fairies are apathetic to it, mm. I don't think they would vote to ban it. So is that, is that because of the fear and the bullying that you mentioned earlier or? Well, if, if the vote was anonymous, then of course not. But I think that yeah. like you have a tradition in your country, it's a part of your country, uh, like the, your country spirit or whatever you want to call it. And, and voting to ban it would be kind of like voting against your own country. So I think that a lot of people who just like, well, I don't consume that much of the whale meats and I don't really care. I think they would be voting maybe like not yes, not no, but maybe, or I don't care, or I don't know, like that third option that you always get. Um, so I guess maybe if they had a vote uh, about, should we keep allowing it, 
and it had to get like a 51% um, majority vote, then that might be where something happened. But I, I don't know. I think that most of the maybes are would vote in favor of keeping the grind because of the, the value as a tradition or uh, I don't know. Yeah. But even if, uh, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but I think yeah, that, like, uh, international pressure is one of the major ways to do it. And and hopefully, if that doesn't help, local pressure, working, building it up slowly with, like, keeping or getting people to be able to speak out and to be, like, outspoken about this topic you know, in a more mm. healthy way so that Sea Shepherd doesn't have to, have to come there and, and get involved. I think that would be better yeah. for sure. Have they, has anyone actually asked them what they're going to do when they've killed them all? What happens when there's no sport, when there's no fish left to sport, what are they going to do? Well, no. And I think the reason for that is that they kill about like somewhere between 600 and 1,000 uh, pilot whales a year, and the hunt is considered sustainable. So they aren't considered as a major force of depleting the ocean of pilot whales. Um, okay. they're one of the drops in, in the bucket, so to say. Um, and, and the, as you said in the beginning, the, the stock is, is measured out at somewhere between 500,000 and 1 million individuals okay. and, and taking 600 away from that wouldn't be considered like a big amount to, to kill in, in a annual hunt. But then you have, of course, of course, all the other ways, um, animals die. Um, mm. in the ocean because of fishing industries and because of this and that effects, you know, plastic in their stomachs and so forth. So there's a lot of forces right now pushing on uh, or pressure, keeping pressure on, on fish stocks and, and, and dolphin stocks and, and, and aquatic animals in general. Mm. So, so we need to be mindful. And, and that, that one dolphin slaughter that we saw, I think Estimates say that they killed about like between one and two percent of the entire North Atlantic uh, white-sided dolphin stock in one hunt, which yeah. is in it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, it's um, again, it's that out of sight, out of mind thing. You know, we can't being landlubbers, we can't see under the water unless you get in there, and not yeah. a lot of people do. So, you know, exactly. um, where Sir David Attenborough used to put all those magnificent you know, elephant herds going across the Serengeti in, in their hundreds of thousands, and now a herd is 10 or 12. The same's happening in the oceans. We just don't see it. Exactly. So, yeah. but that's one of the things that I really, like, before the dolphin slaughter, there was a, another grind whale slaughter in the, the same bay. Mm. And and with the drone, I really got to capture the, the swimming and the chase of that of that pod and I can see how they all kind of breached the water and, and that was quite amazing to see them so mm -hmm. close um, because I flew very close to them with the drone and that material, I think it's just, it just really shows how they, how they stay together uh, even, in, even when they're chased and just try to try to protect each other. Yeah. They're just simply not allowed to by the hunters. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we've not touched on it yet, but um you know, the more you look into pilot whales there and, and dolphins, you know, everyone knows that they come together, but they, they literally are born into the same pod and they live in the, the same pod for most of their, well, very rarely they leave, they stay all their lives, don't they? Mm -hmm. They're a very family orientated species. They are. Yeah. And they, they, they stick together and they protect each other. You can see that when you, when you, when you see a full pod slaughtered, there will be 
um, newly borns. There will be very, very old uh, leaders. Uh, they're huge and full of scars all over their bodies, and yeah. you'll have everyone in between as well. Um, so you can you can really see the the family structure uh, mm. in, the, in those pods. So what's um, what's happening next? I see Shepard going back again next year. Yes, for sure. Okay. Um, we will. I think Sea Shepherd will co- continue to go back until it's not necessary, um, and then, and despite the criticism. But well, what Sea Shepherd is is at least that's my understanding is trying to do now is also is not just document, uh, but is also to as I said build um, relationships with the locals, speak with them, mm-hmm. see if if there's enough voices against this that can be united and feel strength together. Uh, right now, even if the Faroe Islands is quite a small island community, there will be like one or two people opposing a grand in every, in every like small village or town. And I think they, since people don't speak about it, they feel quite alone and, and, and they feel quite, um, um, exposed if they do talk about it. Yeah. So I think that one of the major goals should of course be to empower them to give them a voice and to try to show them that they can speak out. And, and yeah, so I think that's one of the main goals. Um, and that's especially also for me as an activist, I try to find ways to, to share information that gives them these tools just to just constructively uh, discuss mm-hmm. the pile whale hunting without being too emotional. And of course mm-hmm. that is hard for a person who is emotionally um, involved as I am. Um, but I think that's one of the major ways to do it. Just to show them that their arguments doesn't really hold anymore. They, they shouldn't eat the, the pile of whale, especially they should not feed it to their kids and they should avoid it. Or maybe they should quote it, like have a, some kind of quota uh, to severely restrict the killing because there, there's no way that they're eating 600 pile of whales a year and staying within their health recommendations. Yeah, because so, isn't it full of uh, high-level mercury? That is the thing, you know, and that, that is the like it's not the, the it's not the fault of the ferries um, themselves because they're not the major pollutants of the ocean, but yeah. the the whales are on the top of the food chain. The the yeah. the, the, the toothed um, dolphins are eating other predatory predatory fish, so they are j- simply just accumulating uh, mercury and other uh, pollutants. And so that that of course ends up in the in the the people who eat them. And it would the, be it would be interesting if they did a study on the the quantity of mercury in in residents on the islands. Oh, they do every year. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's continuous studies on this. Like the Faroe Islands are internationally considered one of the example islands of of what happens when when the population is is exposed to a lot of mercury and PCBs and other dioxins. And <laughs> they have seen, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really weird, but they have studied children and they've seen cognitive uh, decline. They've studied uh, elders and they've seen a lot of, um, um, oh, not Alzheimer's, but um, Parkinson's. They've studied, there's a lot of different diseases that are associated with, uh, with these pollutants and poisons that you can see a much higher um, um, amount of on the Faroe Islands. So they know about them, about the um, uh, health issues that this causes 
but to some degree, they choose to ignore it. Many people yeah. avoid giving it to the children, thankfully. That's so important because uh, especially young young women are uh, are um, um, oh, recommend young women are recommended not to consume pilot whale blubber before they have their children, which says a lot. And I think that to put it into perspective, um, one gram of pilot whale meat in, in in average contains about two micrograms of of mercury. Right. And I think that's more than 10 times as much as a, as is allowed in the rest of Europe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Just gets more ridiculous, doesn't it? I know. And, and that's why I said earlier on that their own yeah. health government is, is recommending them to consume maximum 300 grams in total of meat and blubber every month as an adult yeah. because they know the negative effects this has. Um, wow. So it's it's, it's quite all, it's, it's, special. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like an aquatic tobacco industry, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. Buy our cigarettes; they're going to kill you, but you're going to love them on the way. <laughs> it's ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I agree. And then add to this the the wonderful thing of of them giving pilot whale meat at least traditionally to kindergartens and 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 older people and weak people. It is, mm. it is the equivalent of social dumping. They're yeah. giving toxic food to the weakest. Yeah. And, and, and they don't do that to that extent anymore that they used to do. But they still, it is still something that is offered to those who are poor. And they do argue that, that they don't have, that the, the poor population is big enough, so they need to give this to them. Yeah. And I, I find it so interesting that any community in the world would say well we need this poisonous food to feed our poor yeah it i mean you've got to be you've got to be really desperate to do that haven't you exactly and and yeah. fairies aren't it, it isn't a poor nation no uh, they're quite wealthy so so this is this the argument doesn't hold either no i think i think um i think your way forward is going to be the uh the the, the younger people by the sounds of it, it's just stubbornness, and maybe there's some monetary things, uh, profits going on for people that have been doing it for decades. But you know, this day and age, it's going to be the younger people that say, "Hold up a moment, let's let's sort this out." Yeah, for sure. Mm, yeah. Um, mm, okay. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Gave what's, you what's to next chew for on yourself? There, huh? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're now back in Norway. I'm sure you're going to have a little bit of a rest up and um, some family time. But what, what, what have you got on? Uh, what's what's coming for you next? What's your next well, project? Right now, I'm still working with Sea Shepherd. Um, mm -hmm. We're still trying to keep focus on this, and and it's we we can't really let this go because if we do, um, then it might just fizzle out and become nothing just as uh, I suspect yeah. the prime minister hopes. So we're keeping the pressure high. And every time there is uh, a mention of this, we try to try to, to, to bring more attention to it. Um, mm. there was a grin happening just after the dolphin slaughter. So, which was almost like a, uh, a like a mark of power. We can still do it, even if there is internationally uh, a lot of criticism. Um, mm. So we we use those um, uh, events to, to keep the pressure up. And I'm going to probably be working on this at least part time 
until next year. Um, but I do uh, work with other things. Like mostly, I focus on Norwegian uh, farming. Um, I, I'm I'm a full time animal rights activist, so that's that's a part of my job. And I'm also taking up diving because I want to work with ghost net campaigns um, to 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 pick out those. Uh, from the oceans, which is a huge problem, which you probably know more th- more about than me. Um, so that's that's got, my focus right now. Sorry, there's a lot of work there that will keep you going for many years. Exactly. Yeah. So, so um, just touching on the diving a little bit, actually, because seeing as we're you know scuba, yeah, um, you are you've just recently done your advanced course, haven't you? I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I won't, I won't say that I've done a lot of diving. I took my, uh, open water 10 years ago. Um, yeah. and, and my motivation back then was that I was going traveling. So I wanted to be able to dive. Yeah. And, and then it took me like 10 years before I went back into the ocean <laughs> as a diver. <laughs> so, so I'm, um, finding the inspiration right now. So I'm gathering up some gear and gather, gathering up some courses and, I'm yeah. hoping to do make a difference also uh, underneath the water. Yeah, and you can. I mean, it's a, a, a fantastic way to do it, to have uh, the skills that you've got and take that underwater with you. I think you're going to love it. I'm hoping um, so, yeah. Yeah, and maybe have a chat with, we had uh, uh, Jono um, on from Sea Shepherd. He uh, runs, or he's the coordinator for, apex harmony sea shepherd's apex harmony which is looking at the uh, shark nets up and down the coast at queensland oh wow. um yeah so when it comes to getting in the water and getting the kind of footage that you guys and sea shepherd want to get then you know someone like him and he's more than happy to spend hours talking about how he does it uh, oh that's cool so maybe you should uh, have a have a chat with that guy and, and get some insider tips on on your way forward i'll do i'll, I'll do so for sure yeah i'll hook you up he's a good lad <laughs> thanks <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> um, and one other thing that's just sprang to mind as well, actually, is um, I noticed that you, one of the posts, um, you listed like the email addresses and the phone numbers of the um, the politicians to, to put the pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I'll have to double check on it, but I think if someone writes a letter to an embassy, so it's uh, Faroese is is Danish, isn't it? Mm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. So if someone oh. in America, gone. No, it, it is. They are self governed, but but they're part of the Danish. Um, yeah, to some extent. Okay. Okay. So if I was here in Australia, or someone in America wrote a letter um, against what's going on in the Faroe Islands at the moment and sent it to the embassy within the country that they reside. There's a, I think there's an official documentation that makes it an official document when it comes into the embassy. Yeah. So rather than just firing it into one office in, in Denmark, if we can instigate um, people in a lot of countries hitting up the Danish embassies in those countries, then it might carry a, quite a bit of weight. That's a good idea, yeah. Hmm. There, there is also a newly uh, released webpage called stopthegrind.com. Uh-huh. Um, where you, where you're, uh, um, right now it's, it's seen as your campaign to like to pressure the UK government to stop their trade deals with the Faroe Islands. The UK has um, got trade deals with them. 
Yeah, yeah, from from millions and millions. Um, really, it's yeah, it's both. <clears throat> it's not just about the grin, but it's like it's a neighbor country, so they they export yeah. and import from each other. Um, and and yeah, yeah, and since the the polar whale hunt is technically illegal within the EU, um, most EU countries aren't um, agreeing with this slaughter. So put, putting pressure on like trade deals within the EU could also be. Uh, one way to to keep that pressure up but uh, yeah mate i'm i'm glad you said that i'm going to put you in touch with um brendan and liz from shark guardian um they were massively um the, the, like the the tip of the spear for preventing shark fin trade across the uk borders and they were successful getting it through parliament so if anyone knows how to be a pain in the backside and actually get things motivated in the uk it's going to be Brendan and Liz. Well, so um, you're going to be focused on the rest of the year, getting everything mapped out for you know the the, the grind. Uh, has it got a an operation name or anything like that? Um, well, it, it was used to be called Operation Bloody Fjords. Okay. Um, so I don't know how how much that's used anymore. So right now we're just colonizing uh, the the Fair Island campaign. Um, okay. But don't quote me too much on that because I'm not yeah. 100% sure. <laughs> well, we'll just keep, keep an eye on social media and see what they yeah. go with. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a foot soldier, you know. I'm not, I'm not one of those big brainiacs. <laughs> oh, mate, without the foot soldiers, nothing gets done. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So. And I think Sea Shepherd have got themselves a, a massive asset in yourself. Um, just well, thank you. What you're doing. I, I, I hope that I'm doing something good. <laughs> yeah, credit where credit's due. And um, I must admit, I did watch the um, uh, live Sea Shepherd YouTube feed that, that went on, and you you fell down a hole. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't I couldn't help laughing at that one. Maybe maybe don't. <laughs> I was, you know, you know when that happens during a live stream, you kind of have to try to keep your cool. But I couldn't because I was like, look at this hole. <laughs> um, and then I kind of had to recompose myself for yeah. because people were watching after all. And after, as soon as we broke the stream, we both like me and me and my colleague, we just broke into like laughter and almost like tears and everything. It was so hilarious. We were just like, how could that happen? It's just insane. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was definitely an experience, you know, learning to keep your cool to some extent, yeah. not entirely. Um, but yeah, that was, I don't know. I've, when I look at it now, I see myself walking backwards. I was like, yeah. why? Why do yeah. you walk backwards? But it was like, I remember like it was noises in the background and I was trying to like move out of like the, the, the way the sounds were coming through like around a building to shield yeah. the, the microphone. But yeah. It looked very professional. <laughs> It'll probably ball? turn up on turn up on newsreel bloopers in the future. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I got a lot of messages messages from people thinking it was it was somebody who jumped me. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, but thankfully it was just me being a yeah. being a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, that was that was actually like uh, in, in afterwards. Like I had like a couple of bruises, but nothing happened. So I was like being. Yeah such a follow was very lucky so i'm just like imagine me like like hitting a rock and like kicking out a few teeth or something 
and like yeah. trying to be professional and like yes the stream will continue <laughs> <laughs> you got away with it lightly i must admit because when you skip, when you flip the phone down so that you could see the hole it's not a not a shallow hole is it no no and i i think like being a quite tall guy i felt all the way flat so it was quite an impact <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh, um, just another day at the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, but I think I think one of my one of my things that I do want to focus on is also Norway because Norway is also a whale hunting country. We yeah. we uh, we hunt and kill a lot of whales, and it's horrible. And traditionally, I've, I have put some emphasis on this, but not enough. I think that's also one of the things, one of the battles that we could and be able to win uh, to protect the oceans and. Um, mm. Right now, the pressure isn't high enough on the on on the whales whale uh, slaughters here in Norway. So I think that that's also one of the things that this campaign has inspired in me, and uh, hopefully, I can be be a part of or build up a team that will work more effectively on that as well, mm. uh, without falling sense. into holes in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it it does make sense because I mean, if you were to um, discuss. Uh, whale hunting with people that aren't keeping up with what's going on in in the oceanic world mm. they automatically start to think about the far east and china japan etc etc and probably don't even know that it goes on in the likes of faroe islands and norway mm. Mm. i think that's true so bringing bringing the spotlight over to those countries that are going beneath the radar right now is probably a wise move and it's, oh, yeah. it's it's not like is Norway does kill quite a lot of whales every year, so mm. so it's um and it's a horrible horrible like the method they use is also horrible. We can talk to lengths about that as well, but maybe next mm. year after I've done some more research. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was isn't it the isn't it the Norwegian military that are doing? I think is it the Norwegian? There was I saw a report a few weeks ago. It might have been even a month ago now. That I think it's Norwegian military would were capturing um right whales so that they could do um sonar and sound testing on the creatures and actually emit the sounds to see what kind of effect it does have on the creatures for oh, the wow. oil and gas industry huh it's definitely one know. of the scandinavian countries I might I might have it wrong and forgive me if it isn't Norway, but it's, it's one of the Scandinavian companies uh, countries. Well, if it, it is, it's it's most likely that it is the Norwegian uh, yeah. military because of the large coastline and also the large oil operations that we have. So yeah. it would make sense. I, just, I, I stumbled across it when I was looking at the. Um, uh, who was I speaking to? In fact, it was another Sea Shepherd, um, Jeff. When Jeff Hansen was on, and he was talking okay. about the the the. the seismic testing that they do down or they've just approved off the australian coast um and i think when i was looking at that i found it online that they yeah I, i'll find it again and I'll, I'll send you the link that'll be Thank something you. for you i appreciate that so every, coming on this podcast it's going to keep you very very busy yeah <laughs> that's great <laughs> i want to be busy awesome. so that's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah um well Obviously, it's going to cost money for to, to keep you going and doing the good stuff that you do. So I mentioned it earlier on briefly, and we'll put it into the, the show notes, but you have got Patreon that people can um, 
sub you a few few dollars per month and and keep you going. Um, yes. Fingers crossed, we get a lot more people on that one as well and keep you keep you uh, focused on what you're doing, mate. Well, if if that happens, I'm really thankful for it, for it because it does make a difference. Um, mm. Just a few, just yeah, just a small this a small amount from many people is what keeps me uh, driving right now. So. So I'm, mm. I'm really humbled by that type of supports and I try to make the best use of it as I can. And yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you. Thank and, you for what, sharing that. In fact, to tell you one thing, a little bit of advice actually, you, you've got PayPal on there as well. I do. Get rid of them. Yeah, get rid of them. They, they, oh. they take too many, too much in fees. Get rid of them. They're, you're not there to make profit for someone like PayPal. Um, have you ever used TransferWise? No. Okay, I'll send you their details as well. I did a... Um, in fact, they did a report on me 18 months ago, um, and I've used them all over the world. It's absolutely minimal cost, and you can change all sorts of currencies. People can pay in their own currencies, and it's no problem at all. Oh. I recently used them for a, a guy that's um, stuck in Thailand, and he was separated from his family and um, got uh, diagnosed with motor neurone disease or something like that uh, and oh. couldn't get home. So we got a load of donations in through TransferWise, and I think we lost about a half a percent of the overall donations that came through for him. Oh, so, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier for people to donate to you. Yeah. I, th I think that like when it comes to these kinds of things, it's, it's, they always, there's always a fee. Pa Patreon also mm. takes a fee. Uh, mm. But it just like what, what Patreon does offer is, um, is stability. Like I know yeah. approximately how much I'm going to earn from from that every month yeah while with, with solutions like paypal it's is is like based on uh, a choice that you make on the spur like now i'm gonna yeah. send some uh, some help to this one person or this so yeah. that's one of the really benefits of, of a solution like patreon it, it gives you more predictability in your finances mm. well i think that's it i mean you use that as your base and then those people that want to give one-off donations um, it comes as a as a bonus, an added bonus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, that's a good certainly get as get as much money to you rather than paying it off to the corporate world. Yeah, for sure. So, sort of. That's always that's always <laughs> good, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that detail. You'll have to remind me of all this detail I'm going to give you because I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to keep a list, mental list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Samuel, um, I'm, I'm going to sign off now. Let you get on with your day. And uh, I'm going to go back to uh, removals because we're still moving house. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, I applaud the work you're doing. Um, bravo, young man. Bravo. Thank you much. I really appreciate the chance to come on as well. And I've, I've had a blast. So thanks. Good man. Good man. Well, go and enjoy your day. And um, we'll speak soon, buddy. Thanks very much. You, you too, man. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Podcast for the inquisitive diver.